Good morning. Welcome to Optimal Care Pediatrics, located in St. Lucie West. I'm Dr. Monique Mondesi, um, general pediatrician, and with me today is Dr. Laura Olivos. She's a child psychologist. You can introduce your practice. Hi, guys. My name is Dr. Laura Olivos. I currently practice at the Olive Tree Center for Child and Family Psychology, and I'm so happy to be here today, so I appreciate you inviting me on here. We appreciate you coming. Thank you. So today we are going to be discussing ADHD, um, and we're really going to focus on the therapy aspect, uh, not so much on the medication aspect today. Uh, First question, tell us what is ADHD? So ADHD is a neurodevelopmental disorder that's often categorized into three cluster-like symptoms, including inattention, hyperactivity, and impulsivity. And oftentimes we see that it's diagnosed between the ages of 4 and 12. And it takes about six months to be able to show those uh, symptoms to be able to be qualified for that diagnosis. It affects about 3 million children in the U.S. currently. Kids. Yes, lots of kiddos. And let's talk a little bit about causes. Um, I hear this a lot. Can eating too much sugar or food dyes cause ADHD or cure ADHD if you remove them? Sure. So research is still very limited on this subject, although it is a very popular topic of conversation amongst parents that I work with. What we have seen is that the science has shown there is a small but significant aggregate effect of food dyes and sugars with exacerbating symptoms of hyperactivity. More research, though, is needed to really draw concrete conclusions if it's actually causal or if it's just exacerbating some effects. So it really just, it it really needs more science to really back up some of those claims. Right. So basically, cutting out um, all sugars or all red food dyes isn't necessarily going to cause cause or cure um, ADHD symptoms. So just a regular balanced diet. And obviously, we always recommend that you consult with your medical professionals, too, with what dietary needs your child has, because every child is so unique. Exactly, especially for eliminating things from the child's diet. All right, next question. Uh, Is there a familial link with ADHD? Yes. So lots of research has shown there definitely, definitely is a genetic component to ADHD. And if you have a first-degree relative in your family that has the diagnosis, you're about 2 to 8% times more likely to develop the disorder. Okay. So we know that the food dyes and sugar and diet does not cause it. So what else could cause ADHD? So we look at the principle of nature versus nurture. And a lot of times what they show in the research is that you have the genetic vulnerability of having ADHD if it runs in your family. Mm -hmm. But also there are environmental factors. So one of those environmental factors includes having a low birth weight, um, having exposure in utero to substances such as alcohol, tobacco, and drugs. Oftentimes we see that if there's any postnatal injuries, um, you have a higher chance of developing ADHD. Lower socioeconomic status and higher stress in the household definitely can um, be associated with ADHD, although we don't know if there's necessarily a causal effect. Maternal depression and stress, lots of different factors. So there, and there's too many to mention. Probably we could be here for a whole hour. But I definitely do encourage that thorough work workups and, and history intakes are, are key and also kind of formulating what is going on because every child has so many different complex factors that contribute to behaviors. So it's important to really understand them. Excellent. And so we're noticing that more children are being diagnosed with ADHD. And why is that? 
There are many, many opinions out there as to why. I, for one, personally believe that because there is an increased awareness and there's more research being poured into this uh, domain of study, there is definitely more information that practitioners have now to really assess and, and diagnose it better. So what we do see is I think that that increased awareness in science has really contributed to a lot of the increase. I will say that oftentimes there isn't a real concrete streamlined way of diagnosing ADHD. Lots of different providers have different ways of assessing and measuring. So oftentimes that can create, I think, more diagnosing of ADHD if it's not done in a thorough manner. Sometimes you do have practitioners after five minutes of talking to a parent. If they meet those checklist criteria on the outside, mm -hmm. the practitioner may say, oh, yeah, they definitely have ADHD. But I truly believe that a more thorough approach of really questioning the history, looking at family factors, looking at what's behind some of those behaviors before jumping to conclusions is really, really important. Um, so I think that oftentimes that's a different big contribution. There isn't a streamlined way to diagnose it. Mm -hmm. What I find also is that um, parents will, when we start talking about ADHD, they'll say, wow, I have a lot of those symptoms. Yeah. I was never diagnosed or they never told me that. Yeah. And I always say back when you were growing up, we didn't look for it. Exactly. But now we look for it. And now we look for it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I think, too, there are sociocultural factors to it. We do see there is a higher incidence in the U.S. of, of this diagnosis compared to, for example, samples in France. And partially there's different ways of assessing for ADHD in both countries. But we also, I think that our society, too, makes it harder for our kiddos to regulate impulses and hold attention and develop those those skills from a young age because we are so instant gratification oriented. Mm -hmm. And children, in our, I think, in our country are very overstimulated with screens and different activities and expectations, and they're more pressured as well. Mm -hmm. So I think sometimes neurodevelopmentally that may contribute to some of what we're seeing. Um, so it's very just, interesting. And can preschoolers be diagnosed with ADHD? Yeah, so the American Academy of Pediatrics has said that up until the age of, or around the age of four, you typically see that there is a, a really high incidence of diagnosing ADHD, and it can be as early as preschool age. I tend to be a little more conservative, and I definitely always do like a multidisciplinary consultation with pediatrics, and um, sometimes we refer out to neurologists to really look at and tease apart developmentally appropriate hyperactivity, impulsivity, and dysregulation and ADHD-oriented impairment. So sometimes I do believe that you often see that there can be um, an overpathologizing of it or a quick, a quick measurement that oftentimes requires a little more time. Okay. And what sort of therapy do you recommend once the diagnosis of ADHD has been made? So in preschool-aged years, we, told, we have seen in the research that they do recommend the first line of intervention being behavioral therapy before medication is introduced. Um, overall, they do find uh, globally that a combination of medication and behavioral therapy is the most optimal outcome. Um, so that Tell definitely me about behavior therapy. So what happens in behavior therapy sure. and uh, how long are they treated for? So behavioral therapy is... Um, developed from a long withstanding body of research from a man named B.F. Skinner, who then uh, many other people under him that studied under him developed other techniques similar and called it different, different therapies. But globally, behavioral techniques and behavioral therapy is comprised of um, two big pillars of intervention. The first is positive reinforcement. So what we know in the science is that the biggest contributor to behavioral change 
is highlighting the good in children and motivating the brain to do better behaviors and more adaptive behaviors. That includes labeled praise, highlighting the good okay, behavior. Okay, labeled praise? Give us an example. Yes, okay. So if I have a child that I know every day uh, struggles with doing a task as simple as getting dressed without running to the TV. If I see that that child after maybe one command is able to just start going toward their dresser, I want to take that window of opportunity to highlight to them that I'm really proud of their compliance in that moment. Even when I know it's hard for them because children with ADHD, it's hard to regulate sometimes that attention and that absorption of information that they're getting. So if a child is moving, let's say toward the dresser to get that item of clothing that you're asking them to put on, that's that window of opportunity to label praise, meaning being able to say, Johnny, I'm so proud that you listened to me the very first time I asked you to go get that, that sweater. And so I'm labeling the behavior for them that I think is adaptive and good. Mm-hmm. So then Johnny, being a, a child, loves attention, right? Mm-hmm. And they love validation and they love feeling like they're, they're seen. So they're going to feel more motivated to repeat that adaptive behavior in the future. So that's what positive reinforcement really is uh, principle-based, yeah. And how long would a child be in therapy for for ADHD? There's really no black and white answer for this one, unfortunately, because every child is so complex, has very unique needs, lots of family factors. What I do see regularly, though, is that you do do an intake on a child to do the assessment. You look at different histories and see what's contributing a lot to the behaviors outside of the ADHD as well. I do a behavioral parent training that lasts, depending on the motivation of the parent and the consistency of application of strategies, about five to six sessions. I also then integrate the parent after those five to six sessions in live in vivo modeling rehearsal on the floor with the child in the playroom, and we go through the strategies live. Um, So it's not very one-on-one therapy. I'm a very big proponent of involving the parents because I can be with the child one hour a week. But the parents and the family members that are caregiving for that child are with that child multiple hours a week. So who has a better impact in behavioral change? The parent. Absolutely. So that, unfortunately, I wouldn't be able to tell you a specific number of sessions. It really depends also on the consistency of how those strategies are applied outside of session. Practice. Yes, practice makes perfect. And also embracing imperfection in this process, too. A lot of parents feel like there's kind of like a cut and dry approach. And if I just do this once, that magical results are going to happen. And then my child will magically respond and be really receptive. And oftentimes that's not the case. So it does take a a lot of patience. And so part of my work, too, is working with the parent to help and coach them in, in being motivated themselves, feeling validated themselves in some of the struggle. Because it is real. <laughs> exactly. So it's a yeah. marathon. Not a sprint. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I get this a lot. So if a child can focus on a video game or playing on the iPad for hours, yeah. uh, but they can't focus in class or get simple tasks done, well, how does this differ from yeah. like ADHD? Or how can they have ADHD if they can focus for hours right. on the iPad? Right. So this is a, a very big uh, comment that I get a lot during my intakes. Is they're like, it's just so hard for me to believe that because look at him on his phone, look at him on the video games. And I'm like, I know. It seems so counterintuitive. So I want you guys to start looking at ADHD not so much as a deficit in attention, but a deficit in regulation of attention. So what they're showing in science now is that instead of a child just having deficits of not being able to pay attention, it's more of regulating that impulse control and attention. And that can go from one extreme to the other. So for example, if I find something desirable that I really love, aka Fortnite, which is like Mm -hmm. the most popular thing ever (laughs) right now. 
if a child feels that that's a preferred activity for them, they go into the state in the science that they found that it includes hyper-focus. So I'm going to hyper-focus. I can't even regulate the extremity of my attention. And so I'm going to hyper-focus on this activity. So it's not so much an inability to pay attention. It's about how we're regulating the extremity of that attention and impulse control. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. Well, they're getting that instant gratification from the game. So they're more motivated to keep playing the game. Yeah, it's very reinforcing. Exactly. And when they've done studies, too, on video gaming, if there's various rewards that are coming up on that screen that are stimulating, notice, Mm -hmm. too, it's super stimulating to be on a video game. It's an escape almost. So different areas in the brain that are indicated in addictive cycles, they light up like a Christmas tree. Mm -hmm. So obviously a child that has difficulty regulating impulse, when they find this addictive like screen and, and game, they're gonna they're gonna gravitate toward that. And if they're doing math homework or science or reading, they may not get that instant gratification. Right. Um, it takes more resources to exactly, do that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So that's why they're not able to focus as mm-hmm. much on the math homework. Absolutely. And, all right. And what parenting techniques can you recommend to help manage a child with ADHD? Um, my biggest my biggest suggestion to parents out there is connection. If you cannot come from a place of connection with your child and you're coming from a place of frustration and anger and irritability, you're going to lose out long-term on that, on that receptivity of the child. So my number one thing is if let's say you're trying to get to Johnny to move from the fortnight to their homework assignment. And let's say that Johnny's sitting and he's sucked into the screen and you're on the other side in the kitchen chopping up carrots for dinner and you just stepped on a Lego and you want to pull your hair out because (laughs) things have to be done. My thing is you got to first look at how you're approaching that child. Are you approaching in an escalated state? Are you in one side of the room and he's here sucked in with his attention here and you're going like this, sorry, (laughs) and you're going like this to this child? That child already has a hard time regulating attention and impulse control. So if I'm trying to yell at them and and say, Johnny, get off the iPad or clean up your room, they're not going to be able to sponge that information in. Now, granted, kids have selective attention sometimes and manipulate, but oftentimes kiddos with ADHD don't have a lot of those resources. So what you want to do is get on their level, make eye contact, and break down what you need from them and be very specific in what you need from them. So, for example, if I need them to clean up the room, and I know that that's the biggest battle of them all. It's a very common complaint we have with our parents. Instead of saying, Johnny, I need you to clean up your room, you say, you get on their, get on their level, mm-hmm. you make eye contact. Sometimes it also creates, if you can do some physical touch, that helps redirect them a little bit, too. And say, buddy, I need you to help me cleaning up your, by cleaning up your room by first taking these items and putting them in this bin. Mm-hmm. Can you help me do that? Show me your good listening skills. So I'm not no I'm no longer disconnected, and I'm no longer in an escalated state where he's just shutting me out or probably escalating with me. Now we're both at the team. Okay. And I feel connected. I feel heard. And now I know exactly what's expected of me. Okay. So my chances of being more receptive to following through with that command can definitely increase because what am I going to do when my parents literally right here speaking in a neutral, nice tone to me and breaking down what they need from me versus on the other side of the room? yelling a very vague thing they need. Excellent example. Thanks. And can a child outgrow ADHD? 
most of the science says that it's a chronic condition. So I'm not going to necessarily say that you cannot grow it, but I do think that there's symptom amelioration and definitely a better way to manage and navigate through their symptoms over time. So oftentimes you will see that their symptoms can wax and wane depending on how they're managing it, depending on what's going on in their life, different stressors. Um, and, and reevaluation, I think, definitely is really important depending on developmental phases, you know, especially adolescence when all the hormones and our chemistry start to kind of shift. Exactly. Can you give, give us some tips for coaches? So coaches also have to, you know, deal with kids who have ADHD. Sure. They are at the end of the school day. Yeah. Yeah, that's always hard because mm-hmm. the resources are lower. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have already expended all these resources trying to pay attention at school, manage and regulate their behavior, listen, accumulate information, manipulate that information for a task, and then the social piece as well. So you have a burnt-out kid probably a lot of the times, depending on what, what you've got in front of you. I go back to the same principle of connection. How are you connecting with that child? If that child has a, a difficulty re- regulating their impulses, how are you addressing that behavior? Are you yelling and escalating with that child? Are you creating a, a tone that is an intimidating and creates fear and, and almost an increased dysregulation in that child? So go back to the connection principle. Get on their eye level. Be very specific on what your expectations are. Sometimes visual aids are really powerful, too. Maybe if you're going wah, 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 and this kid is, like, looking in 50 different directions, a visual aid of breaking down what you need might be really helpful for them, too, to remember what's expected of them. And also consult. I ask, I, I tell teachers all the time and coaches and other practitioners to consult with the parents on what their treatment plan is, what, was, what has worked for them. Mm-hmm. Because oftentimes I could sit here and give all these parenting techniques, but parents oftentimes, if they find something that really works for their child, we encourage that open line of communication. Figure out what has worked and capitalize on that as well. Okay, good point. And what happens if a parent delays care, hoping that things will sort themselves out over time? So what a lot of the science really points out, too, is that early intervention is key, meaning the earlier you can get information and make informed decisions about your child's care and what symptoms are presenting, the better outcome they might have longer term because now they have the strategies introduced to them on how to manage their behaviors and also the parents Mm -hmm. that can help wire the brain differently in a very vulnerable period of development. If I'm waiting for that to happen over time, it's going to be harder to undo certain connections in the brain to rewire to a different behavior. So I think early intervention definitely is vital. And they're also at a greater risk for comorbid conditions. Absolutely. Talk on that. Yes. So comorbid conditions means uh, diagnoses that co-occur and are simultaneously diagnosed with ADHD. So, for example, mood disorders, anxiety disorders, oppositional defiant disorder, conduct disorders, which is um, a a child-like version of sociopathy. So children that have ADHD, because they can't regulate their impulses appropriately or their attention spans, have a greater vulnerability of experiencing different stressors in their life because of these deficits and this this dysregulated state. So they're going to be more vulnerable to developing some some of these issues. So treat early. Mm -hmm. Um, And what can a parent do if they suspect that their child has ADHD? So there are so many different avenues that parents have been told to go to when they do suspect that. I always say, who do you have a connection with in your medical provider 
uh, team. You know, if you're a pediatrician, you have a really great relationship where you feel comfortable for them to be able to help navigate some of these really sometimes scary things Mm -hmm. because it's kind of overwhelming, I think, for parents. You know, my gosh, my kid has a really difficult time controlling their behavior. I have a difficult time managing it. What do I do? So having a really honest conversation, I think, with your pediatrician first, I think is really key. Absolutely. And the pediatrician, if they're as good as Dr. Mondesi, are going to have lots of referral resources for you in the community as well for interventions, for uh, different supports. And so I think having just an honest conversation is important with your medical provider first. Absolutely. And can you describe um, any additional supports out there? So there are a lot of, I mean, now we're so online based, you mm-hmm. know, <laughs> I would, I love the website Child Mind Institute. They have oh, a plethora mm-hmm. of articles that are science-based. They're not just biased opinion mm-hmm. articles. They have a lot of science backing. So they have a, a plethora of resources and um, parent supports. Um, I, they also give you very specific tips and mm-hmm. um, tips for like certain seasons of the year. And you can get emails sent to you yeah. um, about parenting techniques and yep. tips and so it's really a wonderful resource it's a childmind.org yes yeah Child i also Mind. am like a huge proponent of social skill groups we I, i'm still trying to find resources in my area i almost want to start one myself if, if i would clone myself a little bit but I, I i love social skills groups because many kiddos whether they have adhd or not but a lot of kiddos with behavioral issues and social skills deficits which is very common mm-hmm. in adhd by the way um, a lot of the parents can connect and socialize and share some of their uh, some, of, some of their difficulties that they experience as, and, and feel supported. And I'm, I'm telling you too that if you as a parent care for yourself, find ways to cope, find ways to feel connected and supported and, 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 and feel encouraged, your chances of being able to apply interventions and strategies to children will, be a lot, I think, more easy to navigate than if you feel isolated and alone and without resources and support. Absolutely, yes. It's very important mm-hmm. to feel supported because, like we said, it's a marathon, yeah. not a sprint. So it's Definitely. a long journey, so you Definitely. need support. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some classroom techniques that can be implemented? So with children with ADHD, we go back to the chunking technique that we call it. So chunking in the research is breaking down tasks for kiddos and having very explicit directions um, that are um, small steps at a time, so baby steps essentially. And so I believe that teachers would really truly benefit from being able to break down tasks for kiddos um, with ADHD. Use visual aids. Visual aids are your friend. Um, sometimes if you're, again, trying to tell them what you need and, you know, the Snoopy, the wah, 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 Mm -hmm. sometimes having that visual reminder is so powerful for a child to remember, oh, okay, I need to do this first, then this, I've got this, I feel mastery over this now. Also, what we know, again, we go back to the principle of positive reinforcement. How are you recognizing the good in this child in the classroom setting? How many interactions do you have that are negative with this child versus positive? If your ratio of negative interactions with this child outweighs drastically the positive, chances are you're reinforcing those negative cycles because the child almost feels helpless and feels like, man, if I put in this small effort, it's not recognized. I don't feel like I matter. I don't feel heard. So if a, if a teacher switches that engagement to look for even the smallest victories that a child exhibits in the classroom and highlights those, you might see a really beautiful difference in the way they act and behave. So we talked about uh, positive reinforcement. So what I often recommend is having like a, a special treasure box for that. Yes, yeah, like token so, economies. Exactly. Yeah. So they're picking out a prize every time mm-hmm. they do something yeah. um, 
good. It's they absolutely. Are they're on track. Absolutely. And so they're getting reinforced constantly. Absolutely. So uh, we know kiddos love tokens. They love trinkets. They love treasure boxes. I have my little prize box in my office myself when they have a great session and are able to put forth that effort. And I know too, pair that token with that connection too. You know, because one thing is they go and grab it independently and they're like, okay, I got my points for the day. So I get this little trinket. But another thing is for the teacher to look and grab that token and say, this is because you did X, Y, Z today, and I'm so proud of you. Excellent. Can you explain the difference between a 504 and an IEP and how that relates to the child with ADHD? So 504 and IEPs are lingos used a lot in exceptional student education and, and in special education realms in the, in the classroom settings. Um, IEP stands for Individualized Education Plan, and a 504 stands for a 504. <laughs> there's no there's no acronym for that. But essentially, what a 504 is is um, a less uh, rest- it's the less restrictive plan that's implemented in the school setting for a child that's identified to have some kind of need or disability. Um, or some kind of medical condition. So what the 504 does is the administration gets together with the parent and they identify what the child has and how it affects activities of their daily life and how they can bridge that gap to meet some needs in the classroom setting. But in IEP, the difference is that they identify how that disability impairs their learning and educational process. So what an IEP does is it takes it a step further and not just accommodating for certain needs outside of the educational plan. It goes a step further and implements an entire um, plan for the parent with goals from an educational and academic standpoint to accommodate them based on how they learn, how they react to behavioral plans, um, medical needs in the classroom. So it's a little more I guess structured it's a bit more robust. and a lot more robust and more practitioners are also involved in IEP than in a 504. And a child with ADHD does qualify yes. for 504 or IEP. Absolutely. Depending on the need that they present and how also ADHD is affecting the academic portion. Mm-hmm. If it's really exacerbating a, a deficit academically, you're looking more at an IEP at that point. Excellent. And Any other um, closing tips or techniques for us? I would say that embrace the struggle and the imperfection because it's not an, it's not a short-term solution kind of ordeal. It's a, a journey. And children, I also want to preface that children are so much more than their diagnoses and their behaviors. Look, I always encourage parents to look behind the behavior. What is your, behavior is communication. So if a child is struggling, look at what maybe that there's what what is it that might be contributing to that struggle outside of just the neurodevelopmental piece, because a lot of times that environmental factor is so powerful and can make such a difference for a kiddo who has all these difficulties regulating. Mm -hmm. So my and then I would also say that as parents, prioritize yourselves and take a very good look at how you cope with the world because whatever you are modeling to that child on how to regulate your own impulses, your own attention, your own emotions is going to be such a powerful message to that child. You guys are almost creating a blueprint of how that child reacts emotionally and behaviorally to the world. So we highly encourage that parents also seek their own help and support and fill their own cups before they start pouring out. 
Absolutely. That's wonderful. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, Dr. Laura. I always love, I always love coming here. It's Thank wonderful you for having to have you. So I'm going to post Dr. Laura's information um, so anybody watching can reach out to her. Um, and, of course, you'll find uh, my information on uh, the Optimal Care page. Take care. Have a wonderful Thank day. Thank you guys so much.